to one life, the life of Jesus, the inspiration that he has given us, the, the life change and the mission that many people give their lives to. What an exciting story. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, it feels like longer, but according to my calendar, it was just a couple of weeks ago, it was Easter, and we were celebrating the life, the death, and particularly the resurrection of Jesus. And um, just prior to Easter, I saw this really great idea I read about that um, I thought would be very helpful for my family over the Easter season. So I thought, yes, I'll, I'll do this, I'll put this into practice. It involved taking some small Easter eggs, you know, the little tiny ones, unwrapping them very carefully, eating the chocolate, getting a grape, putting it in the foil, wrapping it up, and then keeping those to present to your children on Easter Sunday. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the kind of mum I am, really. Um, so I decided, yes, yes, I'm going to do that. That's fantastic. So I had a little stash ready about a week out from Easter. And then the day before Easter Sunday, we were sitting around with some friends enjoying afternoon tea. And we just happened to have some mini Easter eggs and some grapes and other things there. And, and it came up. I mentioned this idea. And this idea. the people we were with thought, we like that idea too. Let's do that. So while our kids were playing, we ate the chocolate eggs and we wrapped up the grapes so that they too could have a stash to give to their children the next morning. So I haven't actually heard how that went yet. I am interested to know. But at our house, we had a lot of groans from a 12-year-old son. And uh, then we had a nine-year-old son who, as soon as he unwrapped and saw the grape and realised what was going on here, he's put it down on the table and he's just slammed his fist down <laughs> and he's turned chocolate into wine. It was amazing. <laughs> it was great. Oh, I love my children. <laughs> don't worry, don't feel bad for them. They got lots of chocolate. And actually, I gave them the grape chocolates after we'd given them the main chocolates just because I forgot. But then it still worked. It was really fun. <laughs> it seems like grapes and grapevines and um, all things to do with this area have been popping up in my life in the last few weeks as I have been preparing to speak on this topic today, which is Jesus is the vine. On Friday, a friend of mine called from overseas. She was going through a really tough situation and she just um, needed to just talk about it. And uh, after she had, I just, this one part of what I've been uh, learning through this preparation came to mind and so I shared that with her and she was actually gobsmacked because a week prior she'd been reading this very passage from John 15 and had been taking it in and then the day before our phone conversation she'd actually reread it and felt like God was just saying to hold on to it and then I have shared what it was that she felt God wanted to say to her through this particular passage. I was just so thrilled to hear that. And then on Friday night, I went out for dinner and I went to Timber at Velo um, Wines, which is down at Lagana. And um, I was sitting at a table looking at a wall, well, looking at people, but behind them on the wall was something I have actually never, ever seen on a wall anywhere. And um, I have a photo of it, so hopefully that can come up. And you can see too a massive grapevine branch. And I don't know if you can tell the, the actual dimensions of it. It was huge. It covered a whole wall. You can see a person there nearby. Um, it was actually 
quite huge. I probably looked a little bit odd taking a photo of a gnarled wood, piece of wood on the wall, but I was just like, wow, God. I mean, it took me about two hours to actually realise that was the main decoration of the, the whole place. And so I just feel like this, this important part of what Jesus said and this important claim that he made has been very relevant for me and I hope very relevant for you too. So interestingly as well, I mean, I just never stopped to think about this in connection before to the passage we're reading today. Jesus' very first miracle when he was on earth involved the fruit of the vine, when he turned water into wine. And I just thought that was a beautiful connection as well. Let's get straight into the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's from John 15, and it's verses 1 to 8. And um, sometimes when things don't pop up on the screen as they're meant to, it's not the computer person's fault. Sometimes it's the speaker, because I changed the order. So hopefully, um, Ryan can follow along, and we're going to read from John 15, 1 to 8, first up. It says this, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." Well, for Jesus' claim of being the true vine to make any real sense to us today, we need to look at the historical reason why he would say this. I was once told that in Hebrew culture, a strong depiction of prosperity and contentment was that of a person in their older age sitting underneath an olive tree and looking out over their vineyard with all their children and their children's children gathered around them. It's a great picture, and the vineyard is a big part of it, a big part of that prosperity and contentment that's conveyed. Out of the many references to vines in the Old Testament, the most significant use is as a metaphor for God's people. God's intention was always for people to be in a relationship with him. It was meant to be inborn from the moment that we came into existence, that we would know him. But sin came and changed that dramatically for us. At the point when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, there were severe consequences of separation from God himself and from the perfect environment that he had created for us to live in. But God, in his grace, also put in place a way to restore the relationship that had been broken. He chose Abraham a special man, friend of God, and he made an incredible promise to him before he even had one child. 
In Genesis 12, it can be found where God tells Abraham that he will bless him and make his descendants into a great nation. And everyone on earth will be blessed because of him and his family. Well, this family did grow into a great nation, became known as Israel. And they were the ones who were to make God known to all people of the earth in the process restoring, helping to restore creation back to its creator. Israel was to have a special relationship with God as his witnesses to the nations. Over mine as a way to describe them. Just a couple of examples. The first one from Isaiah, chapter five, verse seven. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Hosea is the next one. Just the very first verse in chapter 10. It says, How prosperous Israel is, a luxurious vine loaded with fruit. And then there's even more of a picture painted in Psalm 80, verses 8 to 11. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transported us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. It would have been so good if it had actually stayed this way. But the Israelites didn't fulfill their God-given responsibility and their purpose. They actually looked around at the nations that were, they were surrounded by in, in the land, in many areas that they came across and interacted with other people groups. And they became distracted by what they saw that those other people had. They saw they had earthly kings. They saw they had different types of prosperity, they saw the women of their people that they wanted to marry and therefore there were many different religions that also came into the people of Israel and came into their homes and their their nation. The very people they were meant to be sharing their knowledge of God with they looked to for strength in battle instead of looking to God And eventually, they turned away from him completely by making the false gods of the other nations their own in many cases. And now instead of being that luxurious vine that God called them to be and sharing God and his plan for humanity, Israel had become a wild and corrupt vine with no fruit. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21 I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Let's move forward now hundreds of years to the time when Jesus was living on the earth. He lived in an Israel that was very different from what we read about in the Old Testament. It was now under Roman rule. They were oppressed by a foreign regime. They'd become known as the Jewish people, 
And they had, in fact, returned to the law of God, the law that Moses had handed down directly from God to them, but they had added many, many rules to that law, and they followed it in a very religious, judgmental, and rule-obsessed way. It was not how God intended his law that brings life to be lived out. The Jews certainly weren't known for their sharing about God with other nations. In fact, there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and other people. Sadly, that has played out throughout thousands of years. Jesus had spent, at the time that we pick up this part of the story, he'd spent three years travelling and preaching, healing people, teaching them about what God is like, and introducing them a new way of living, a kingdom way of living. Jesus was gathered with his closest friends for this conversation where he shares with them that he is the true vine. They were in the capital of Israel, they were in Jerusalem, and they were there for the festival of Passover. In fact, the same event, I guess, that our Monday Easter is connected to. That was the time of year that it was. And on the night of his arrest, leading to his trial, and ultimately his death and his resurrection, this evening, one of his group of closest friends, Judas, had left the gathering to go and betray Jesus to the authorities. But Jesus was gathered with the other 11, and he was still sowing into them right to the very last minute of his time with them. There's so much in these few chapters of John. And at this point, he was preparing the disciples for the dark days that would come. He was also speaking hope to them that they needed to know he would still be with them in a new capacity once he had physically left the earth. That new capacity would be through his spirit. So let's look again at verse 1 of John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus was announcing right here in this statement that he would fulfill the role that Israel could not and had not, that role being making the father known to the world. And he was not just saying he was a vine, he was saying he was the true vine. And God, his father, he was acknowledging that he was the one in charge. He was the carer, the vine dresser. Jesus used two seemingly unremarkable words at the beginning of the sentence. The words were, I am. And to us, they just seemed like a prefix for what he was going to go on to say about being the true vine. But to his friends and to anyone at that time in the Jewish culture, these two words were so much more meaningful because of their country's history and their holy books. They knew also that had more meaning. This meaning would go back about 1,500 years to when Moses went to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God. And God had revealed himself in a very unique way through this meeting with Moses. Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And yet here, Jesus is claiming to be the great I am, as well as being the chosen one of God, all in one statement of I am the true vine. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I found it interesting through my reading that there's, I noticed there's actually a footnote there after the words takes away. And that footnote says, or lifts up. So I had a bit more of a look into that because to me they were kind of seemingly really different to take away or to lift up. So as the New Testament was written in Greek, um, the Greek word used here for takes away is ero, which means to lift up, as it says. And for me, this gives me a much clearer picture of what the father, the vine dresser, is doing. Because now we see a loving, caring gardener who lifts up or takes away from the dust is some of the... Um, ways of the interpretations of what I had been reading, to lift up so that he can give us the support to bear the good fruit when we're not. And for those who are bearing good fruit, God prunes in order to bring on more. And pruning in this sense is what God does to shape our lives and grow our character and increase our effectiveness. We don't get to stay exactly how we are if we decide to follow Jesus because God has a much bigger plan for our lives. He, has, he knows the potential of who we are and it would be very nice and easy to stay there how we are and how we automatically behave. But God wants to grow our character once we're connected to him. It gives the channel for that to happen through his spirit, through Jesus. And our effectiveness can be increased tenfold, a hundredfold, once we are connected to Jesus, the true vine. The reference to us being made clean, a clean vine is something very important in winemaking, apparently. It's a plant that is free of any disabling diseases at the time of planting. And it's the words from Jesus that are what make us clean if we take them on board, if we actually put them into our hearts and live our lives in response to those things. Being made clean by the words of Jesus is the essential spiritual foundation we need to bear that strong and healthy fruit. Verse 4 goes on to say, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I don't know if it's just me or not, but a lot of the time I think we as followers of Jesus think it is our job to produce good fruit. But if we read this, 
it actually, that's not the case. Because according to Jesus, if we are the branches, our job is only to focus on being connected to him and to stay that way. We only need to be in a relationship with Jesus. That's all. We need to stay there and not leave. And that's what abiding is, because that is a word we don't tend to use so much. You know, oh, can you just abide for a little while so we can catch up? You know, like, who says that now? But the meaning is something that we understand very well. It's just stay, don't leave, stick around, remain. It's Jesus who does the producing of the fruit in us. We only need to bear it. We need to be in the right place, connected to Jesus, getting to know him, spending time with him, learning about the Father through him, through his word, through prayer, through other people who follow him. And then he will produce the fruit, not us. We need to bear it and just live it out in our lives. If we focus on our own fruit, our own efforts in bearing this fruit, it won't be as healthy because it will just come from our own human effort. It will probably have good intentions, but it will be of the flesh. We need the fruit to come directly and only from the Spirit of God. It's why it's so important that we stay joined to the vine, that we get joined properly in the first place, that we don't just wander off, that we don't forget that that is the only way to bear good fruit and that that is the connection that allows God's spirit to flow through us, being a strongly connected branch. We need to know what the spiritual fruit is that will grow in us. And you could do like a whole talk on just this topic. But we just want some specifics right now. And you can go away and look into them more for your own life. Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23, tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We can accomplish much on our own. We, do, we can do tasks our whole life and not look to God for that. In fact, many people do, many people successful and do incredible things in their lives. But the results of good living or good performance is completely wasted if it's not connected through Jesus, if it's not eternal in nature. Is that me? Do I need to use another mic? Just let me know. So sure, we can spend our life doing good things, doing amazing things, impressing the world around us, but without it being grounded in Christ, it will amount to nothing in the end, according to Jesus' words. Verse 6 gives us a warning about disconnecting from Jesus. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 
So this is a warning, but it's really important that we understand it's not a threat from God. God doesn't mercilessly eliminate people from the vine. In fact, I believe no one is disconnected from the vine by God. It's not in the nature of who he is. He's a loving, inclusive, and completely sold out God to his creation, to all people. His desire for us is to be so strongly connected to Jesus that we would never leave. A branch becomes detached when someone rejects the truth of God and the good news of Jesus for themselves. That is the choice that God has given us. There's no force involved with us coming to believe and then stay with Jesus. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Staying connected to Jesus means that our thinking and our desires will be different to what they would be if we weren't. It means that we become kingdom-minded with how we go about our lives. If God's kingdom is then our very main focus, right in the forefront of our thinking and our lives, our desires would then naturally line up with what it is he is doing in the world. And then, of course, if anything we ask based around making well, the goal of making God known and glorifying him, then those things will be given to us. If we're asking God for talents or abilities, resources, whatever it is to use for his purposes, then there's going to be an abundance of those things for us to access in life. We could ask for all sorts of things. I bet we could make a huge list without thinking, and potentially not many of them would necessarily be for God's purposes, but would certainly be for an enjoyable way of living. Well, maybe God will add them as well to your life experience, but more importantly, he wants your desires and what you ask of him to be with the focus of his kingdom and lining up with sharing who he is and making him known to other people in your life and people around you and wherever you go and just seeing that you are connected to him and that your relationship with him is full of worship and praise. So what about people who aren't growing on this vine that Jesus claims to be? How does that work? There are a lot of people who do not consider Jesus to be the Son of God. They don't claim that he's their saviour or they don't necessarily read the Bible to find out how to live according to God's way. And some people just simply don't know yet about how Jesus or who Jesus is or maybe they know of, but they really don't realise that there's a significance for them. 
But the beauty and the uniqueness of God's people is that it's not an exclusive group. It was never meant to be. That's where the Israelites went off track somewhat. They saw themselves as above in many ways, spiritually above all the nations, and that God was somehow their exclusive patron. That wasn't how it was meant to go. The promise for Abraham was that all people would be blessed through him, not just all people at the time when he was alive, but all people throughout the whole existence of mankind, and it would come through his family, and he did have that incredible promise of a family fulfilled. And God always wanted to have that incredible connection and relationship with all people that he had created. We become branches when we hear and believe the good news of who Jesus is. His spirit then will come to live in us, and it doesn't come and go. I think Tim Hannah spoke wonderfully on this last Sunday, and if you haven't heard what he shared, then please do online. It was just amazing. He did bring up this reminder that in the new covenant, in the new way under Jesus, the spirit doesn't come and go and pour a bit of power on this person and then someone over here. The spirit consistently flows through our lives. When we are Jesus followers, he consistently is with us in all our circumstances. And that is also what's available for anyone here today who hasn't yet connected to Jesus but wants to. If it's new information for you, or even if it's old information and it does mean something for you today and you want to know more, then we want to help you do that. It's why it's a huge part of why church communities and, and yeah, Jesus' church exists in the first place. Start with a conversation with somebody who knows God. You can come straight after the service. You can talk to any of our team. We'd love to talk to you, see where you're at, what it is you want to know more about and how we'd love to share with you exactly more about being connected to Jesus, the true vine. We all need to be attached to him completely for spiritual growth to take any effect as Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way to get to know the Father, to know your Creator, to be with God, to spend eternity with Him. It's through Jesus. If you already know Him, I just want to encourage you to be a branch. Be a big, strong, healthy branch connected to Him. Stay there. Allow Jesus to be the one to do the producing of good fruit in you and make him known wherever possible, in whatever way possible. Thank you.